welcome to Insight for Impact, the podcast from SQW featuring conversations with experts on the issues that matter in economic and social development. Hello, welcome to Insight for Impact, the SQW podcast. I'm Joe Duggett and I'm delighted to be joined today by Christine Dole and Rebecca Pates to discuss the relationship between research and innovation and place. To introduce my guests, Christine Dole is a director of SQW and specialises in innovation ecosystems locally and regionally and links to cluster policy, place narratives and the development of economic strategies. Christine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's uh, good to be here today to talk this through. Probably one of the most important subjects in terms of future shape of the UK economy and hopefully it'll be a good discussion. Thanks, Christine. And Rebecca Pates is an Associate Director of SQW who specialises in R&D and innovation policy, especially in terms of impact evaluation and understanding what works in policy interventions. And she has extensive experience working in place-based analysis, especially in the north of England and the Midlands. Beck, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for inviting us. Great. So to kick off, Christine, can we just get straight into the discussion to understand why are we interested in this topic? Well, it's a huge topic, isn't it? And I think it's one that over the years in which I've been working in this field has actually become more and more important. I guess we were struck by some of the changes in policy in this broad sphere. And in 2021, as, as you certainly know this, Joe, there was an innovation strategy that was, was published. And what's really interesting about that is if you read through it, one of the pillars, the third pillar, in fact, is all about place. It's about institutions, places, and their relationship to the innovation process. Just earlier this year, the Leveling Up white paper was published, and it's a very different document in some ways. It's from a different part of government, but you read through that and suddenly you find yourself reading about innovation again. That's seen as one of the six fundamental things that affects how places can develop and what prospects might be. The missions in the Leveling Up white paper also are very aligned with that. So we suddenly see innovation policy talking about place, and place policy, talking about innovation, and that coming together, I think, is really important and really exciting in terms of how the UK economy might evolve over the years ahead. I completely agree. It's um, really good to see there's now more emphasis in policy around trying to make sure research and innovation investment does deliver benefits across the UK. Um, But I think there's still a lot of questions about how the impact of that type of investment varies across the country and what might be driving that, and then how policymakers make sure they get the most out of those kind of investments locally. So I'm hoping this podcast will be useful for those people trying to think through that at the moment. Thanks both. That's a really interesting and useful overview of why this why this matters and the importance in, in policy and the increasing overlaps between innovation policy and economic regeneration or, or place-based policy. What do we know then about this relationship between, on the one hand, research and innovation and and economic growth? Well, I think we know it's complicated. Some of our colleagues have been looking at this at the national level, and I think the national perspective on this is pretty important. 
If you go back to the Industrial Strategy White Paper, which was published in um, 2017, I think that was an important line in the sand in all of this. That really, I guess, was the culmination of a lot of thinking in the years preceding its publication as to how we really get to grips with the competitiveness of the UK economy and particularly the questions around why has the UK's productivity performance been so weak, both relative to elsewhere and why had it not improved post credit crunch and it had failed to return to the trend growth trajectory. And through that white paper, the commitment was made essentially to invest in R&D in a pretty significant way not just because of productivity, but certainly linked to it. And the commitment then was to say we want to reach 2.4% of GDP investment in R&D by 2027 and to reach 3% in the longer term, placing us in the top quartile of OECD countries. But we also need to think about how that varies locally because the national picture is one thing. The local one, I think, is really different. Can we talk about that a bit more in terms then of what we know about the role of research and innovation in generating economic benefits in different places or in different parts of the UK? I think we know certainly the extent to which investment happens in research and development activities varies very substantially at a local level across the UK. It was actually a comment that was picked up in the Leveling Up White Paper, which, which struck me when looking at this, which was, If you divide the UK into ITL2 areas, and that's nuts two areas in in old money, there's 41 of them across the country. And of those 41, seven are investing more in R&D than the OECD average. 34 are effectively investing less. It's it's, it's more complicated than that as measures, but just a, a feel for what's going on. So well over 80% of areas are seeing less than the average across 38 countries. And what that might mean in terms of long-term growth prospects, I think is really, really important. And that provides at least one cut on how this varies spatially and why we need to think about some of the consequences. Rebecca? Yeah, I agree with Chris. There's a lot of material out there um, about the benefits of R&R investment, especially at a, a national level. But when you read or hear about the role of R&I in levelling up, a lot of the discussion is focused on inputs, so where the money's going and whether it's spread across the country, which obviously, as Christine says, that's an important part of the equation. But I think it's fair to say there's often a bit of an assumption that those inputs will automatically lead to benefits no matter what context they're being invested in. I think that's not necessarily the case. So in some places, you can see how investments in research and innovation have really catalyzed clusters um, and transformed a place. But in other areas, that isn't happening. And I guess back to your question, Joe, of why does this matter? Well, if we really want R&I investment to deliver benefits across the UK, I think we need to be a bit more aware of the local context and how that might shape, for better or worse perhaps, whether a place can generate and actually anchor those benefits from research, innovation, investment locally within their patch. And what are the factors that are particularly important there in influencing the relationship between research and innovation and the place? To my mind, I think there are three things to think about in each place. The first is the scale and nature of the research and innovation investment itself. So do some investments have more scope for local benefits than others? The second thing is the attributes of the place and the assets. So things like the research base, the skills, the property, the infrastructure and so on. It's not just the presence of those assets and attributes in the area, 
it's their behaviours and attitudes. So, for example, whether a university prioritises local SME engagement and actually whether it has the capacity and the right incentives in place to do so. Um, but also things like the absorptive capacity of businesses and, and how well aligned their needs are to the research expertise. I think the other point I'd highlight under attributes is local leadership and whether innovations are priority and that's really integrated into local economic development agendas and strategies. And then the third point is whether the inputs and attributes that I've just spoken about are linked up and interact effectively. So are there effective networks? Are partners collaborating? Are mechanisms in place to share knowledge and, and diffuse innovation? I guess what I'm, I'm basically saying is looking at a place as a system and seeing which parts of that system are working effectively and which are not. So where the train of transmission from research investments to local impacts is, is kind of breaking down. And then doing that might help to pinpoint where intervention might be most useful in a place. And that will or could differ from place to place. Christine, do you have anything to add to that overview from Beth? Yeah, but when we say it's a system, we don't therefore mean it's a closed system at a local level. It certainly isn't. And when we had a pretty hard look at this through some a work that we did fairly recently for UKRI, we ended up featuring within it two concepts that we thought through based on the evidence that we were looking at, which were just trying to simplify some of this. And what we observed and contrasting places where this seemed to work well with those where it perhaps worked less well was the relationship between what we called leakiness and stickiness in relation to the RNI system. So I guess where these relationships become cumulative and it's a positive spiral, if you like, is where those relationships are sticky, which means that research and investment that might happen in a place actually stays there. The people who are working in it choose to build their careers and their lives in that place, move on to different jobs in that place, probably investment might follow, knowledge stays and knowledge leads to innovation. And there's a whole kind of cumulative virtuous circle in that. But other areas probably are more characterised by what we call leakiness. And our point there really was that there are some places where you can actually invest in some of those assets and see things start to happen. But eventually what happens is the assets, the people, the knowledge, sometimes the money leak away. And therefore, um, in terms of what the ultimate benefits are in terms of you know, local wealth and local well-being, um, it's much less clear. And I guess for some areas, the priority needs to be how you address that leakiness issue. And that may not require much in terms of R&I itself. It may be much more about the nature of the place and the willingness of people to live there, to stay there. And I think it, those ideas are useful in just in terms of really reinforcing, again, the centrality of place in this narrative around the effectiveness of, or otherwise of investment in research and innovation in a spatial context. And they're, they're simple concepts, but I, I think they're quite useful as devices to, to think this through. That's really helpful. And do we have any examples of where we think those relationships and that focus on both leakiness or and stickiness have actually worked effectively and led to place-based outcomes, so in the work that you've done in local places across the UK? Well, I mean, it's, it's possible to talk at different levels, I think, about lots of different places, and they have different sets of attributes in relation to all of this. The one that I wanted to mention is somewhere that in discussions generally about research, innovation, place, outcomes, clusters and all the rest of it, 
it is not often referred to, but I've seen it evolve, I guess, for oh, 10 years plus now. And SQW as a business, I think, has worked in it on and off for longer than that. And I think it's quite an exciting narrative of what can potentially happen. It's, there's not a silver bullet in it, but I think there's some quite interesting lessons and insights. And that relates to Stevenage, which is a new town, a first wave new town located in Hertfordshire. It's a medium sized place. It's not a city, but it's a big town, I guess. And its history and origins are still pretty important in terms of its character. If you look at the socioeconomics of Stevenage, it's still a place where average incomes on a residence basis are below the UK average, even though you know, it's a southern location in those sorts of terms. What we've seen over the last 15 or so years is some really, really interesting things in terms of research and innovation. Within Stevenage is one of GSK's major sites, its major research facility. And that's been there some years. Over the recent past, or well, I guess the last two decades or so, pharmaceuticals as a sector has changed pretty significantly in terms of how research and development is done and the sorts of models that are used. In, I don't know, 2008, nine or something like that, GSK was looking at this and took the view that it needed to move towards something a bit more like an open innovation model. And with support from parts of the public sector, investment was made into what became Stevenage Bioscience Catalyst. And that opened in 2012. By about 2017, it was pretty much full in terms of its first phase. And it's gone on really um, from strength to strength since, which is, is, you know, it's a really positive outcome in itself. What Stevenage also benefited from, though, was a pretty major investment that happened in about 2017, which was linked to the cell and gene therapy catapult, and in particular, the establishment of a manufacturing facility. Now, we, we describe it as manufacturing, but it's, it's essentially how you move from a laboratory to something closer to clinical trials and beyond in terms of advanced therapies. And you know, it really, really is leading edge work happening now in and around Stevenage. Those were essentially public sector investments, I guess. But what we've seen since then, and I think this is where this gets very interesting, is private equity investment following and data that the LEP and others have looked at on this just points to the scale of what has been pulled into businesses associated with those facilities in Stevenage. And I think it was the case that in 2020, private equity investment in R&D activities linked to biotechnology was actually higher in Stevenage than it was in either Cambridge or London. And it was very similar to the level in Oxford. And for a place like Stevenage, I think that's just phenomenal. And the consequences of that are something that we really need to be reflecting. And, you know, this has been noticed by central government and others. It's now recognised as the largest cell and gene therapy cluster nationally, the third largest globally. And it's an exciting set of possibilities in those terms. And I guess to take that back to the beginning of the story in terms of Stevenage as a place and to what extent has local leadership contributed to this? Well, we, we don't have the counterfactual, we don't know, but I think what we've observed is all parts of the public sector have worked really hard together to try and support this investment and to make things happen as a result of it. And by and large, the resources available have never been huge. It's been a case of using things like 
the Growing Places Fund, Local Growth Fund, one or two other things as well, um, to put in place some of the supporting infrastructure that was pretty important in terms of those, those big investments and really uh, working hard together on it. And the local enterprise partnership for Hertfordshire has been critical, I think. Steamage Borough Council, similarly, and other partners, you know, coming together around a recognition of the possibilities and just the need to make the place work in those sorts of terms. But I think it's exciting and I, I think it's the sort of set of outcomes, if you like, that, that others should be encouraged by. And I think it's a good example of what can be made to happen. Thanks, Christine. That's really interesting example. As you've said, a sort of place maybe Stevenage without a, a major anchor university, not the sort of place which traditionally would be part of discussions around links between research and innovation. I think it shows the, the wider way that we need to think about this. Beck, any examples from, from your experience of working across the UK? Yeah, I can take you to a, a different part of the country, um, Sheffield City region. So that was one of seven areas that we looked at in the piece of work that Christine mentioned that we just done for UKRI. And there there's the Advanced Manufacturing Park, and on it is the Advanced Manufacturing Research Centre. And that's often cited as good practice in terms of its role in driving growth. The AMRC, it's based on a, a site that I think was a previously an open cast mine, actually, and in an area that was experiencing some quite significant challenges socioeconomically. The AMRC was set up, I think, about 20 years ago by the University of Sheffield, along with Boeing, and funding from the, the Regional Development Agency, ERDF at the time. But having that flagship asset has been really important in terms of raising the profile of the city region. It's done really well in terms of establishing global networks, sort of outward looking. It's attracted investment from some really quite major firms. But it also has an explicit remit around business engagement. And local stakeholders that we talked to, they talked about how it's played quite an important role in kind of shifting local innovation cultures. So encouraging more businesses in the area to adopt innovation. Um, I think the other interesting point, just to flag on that example, is that about eight years ago, the AMRC also opened a dedicated training centre. And that's seen as a really important mechanism for diffusing knowledge to local businesses and national ones, actually. And I think the people side of this really matters, especially in terms of diffusion and adoption across the wider business base. And having said all that, I think the city region's obviously still got challenges, especially in terms of productivity. So even though it's a place where you think, you know, the research strengths are really well aligned with quite a good proportion of the business space, especially in terms of engineering, there is still a long tail of less productive businesses and wider issues around absorption capacity, amongst other things. But I just wanted to highlight that example because I think it's quite a good one just to show how long it can take to change the economic narrative of a place and often quite a huge amount of investment and commitment over a long period of time. And also probably that R&I investment is only one part of Jigsaw in tackling levelling up type issues. So we've got two quite different examples, different processes, different places. And that goes back to the earlier discussion that this is a, it is quite a complicated set of relationships and won't present the same way across all different parts of the country or, or different places. So within that context, what generally do we think local actors should be doing or how should they be responding to seek to maximise the benefits from research and innovation, investment and activity in their, in their area? I think the first point is probably quite an obvious one and we've hinted at it already, 
um, but just making sure there is strategic alignment of investment and that includes national and local funding and funding for innovation as well as economic development, making sure that's really integrated and making sure there's a long-term commitment to that. I think the second point I'd make that is that in some places, whilst you might have good research assets in your patch, um, they might not be linking up effectively with the local business base. So just making sure there is enough resource for capacity building, I think that's really important. So making sure you've got the resources that enable so key research organisations to kind of go out there and build networks or prioritise external business engagement and just link to that point around capacity. I think there's also a broader question about whether incentives and metrics that are linked to kind of maybe more mainstream research funding could be used to influence behaviours, especially outward looking behaviours. So perhaps including more metrics um, around local economic impacts associated with the, the research that's been done. I think the third point I'd mention is, especially in kind of more rural, maybe remote locations, that looking outwards is really important and leveraging benefits from research and innovation that's perhaps taking place somewhere else that could help develop a local area. So basically, it's building critical mass um, that they might not already have through association rather than co-location with relevant research expertise. And I'd say that it's not just a job for local stakeholders. I think it's a really important role for national funders of research and innovation to better understand the context into which their R&I investments are going and whether their place can generate local benefits from that. I think it's really good to see that UKRI have plans to pilot local policy innovation partnerships. So amongst other things, they're designed to help national funders to understand local contexts and challenges better and what works in different places. And finally, I know we've got research programmes that specifically focus on place, like strength in places. But I think if if place-based impacts really are the priority, I think we need to go a bit further um, and think about place and programmes that you might not traditionally consider as spatial. So a bit like governments previously had rural proofing, some kind of place proofing might help embed place right from the beginning of the policy-making process. I'm not suggesting here that place should be a priority for all our research and innovation programmes, but I think just being aware of the impact on places and whether perhaps any minor adjustments to those kind of schemes could help boost those benefits might be helpful. Thanks, Beth. Christine, anything to add on what local local places should be thinking about or, or doing to, to maximise the potential from research and innovation? Well, I think Beck's answer is pretty comprehensive. I, I think what I would add to that is actually some positive reflections, really, in terms of um, the extent to which policy levers of different forms are being used to, to help some of this. The Strength in Places Fund, which has, I think, been really important in the places that have had it. I mean, less good for the places that haven't, but um, that started to navigate some of this, as have things like the Creative Industries Clusters Programme and some parts of the Connecting Capability Fund. Now, all three of those were UKRI programmes in some shape or form. And what's going to matter, I think, is bearing in mind where I started from by putting together the innovation strategy alongside the levelling up white paper as a innovation strategy and a place strategy effectively coming together. The question then is, well, what's the place agenda doing in this space as well and the autumn statement um, which happened recently uh, 
had some quite interesting things to say on this. And I think just one comment on it, which might be a little bit controversial, but the intention in that statement to effectively withdraw the investment zones that had been launched a month or so previously and to replace them with something much more focused, I think could be quite helpful in this. And the autumn statement basically said they wanted to catalyse a limited number of the highest potential knowledge intensive growth clusters, including through leveraging local research strengths. That's quite what that means in practice will be played out, I guess, over the months ahead. But at least in principle, you know, that coming together of recognising that intervention in place needs to be thinking about innovation, research, knowledge intensive activity, and sort of dovetailing that with some of UKRI's thinking, I think could be pretty exciting for the future. Um, all of that, I think, needs to be linked to wider debates and discussions in relation to devolution. Um, and obviously that agenda, which is huge in itself, has different forms in different parts of the UK and actually is happening at very different rates in different parts. So the devolved administrations is one set of observations on that. But even within within England, there's a whole spectrum. And you know the risk with it is different places moving at very different rates. And actually, though, a need to recognise that these agendas matter in all of the places, but perhaps need to be taken forward in slightly different ways. So I think there's, there's reasons to be cheerful on this. There's some risks, though, and I think what happens in relation to the possibility of another round of austerity, I think, is, is really a bit concerning on this agenda. It does need some investment. I guess, from our point of view, what would be really good is to see a bit of policy certainty on it. It is just worth remembering that the industrial strategy white paper itself has somewhat been sidelined. However, I think that the really key themes around the place-based nature of innovation and the importance of innovation in place are continuing and, and I think it's really important that they do continue into the medium and long term. Thanks Christine and thanks Beck for your insights on the relationship between research and innovation and place, it's a really important and, Christine, as you just mentioned, very topical and timely discussion, I think, as we think about supporting or looking to support economic growth over, over the next few years in the UK. Thanks very much for listening to Insight for Impact. I'm Joe Duggett and I've been speaking to Rebecca Pates and Christine Dahl from SQW. You've been listening to Insight for Impact, the podcast from SQW. To learn more about SQW, our people and our latest thinking, please visit our website at sqw.co.uk. And if you have any further feedback or thoughts on the podcast, or would like to suggest a topic for future episodes, please get in touch with us via LinkedIn and Twitter using the handle at SQW. Thank you.